The following message was given to the young adult group at the North Church. More information can be found at thenorthchurch.com slash young-adults. God, I'm thankful for this opportunity to share with this group. Um, God, I pray that you would be with us in this time. God, would you help me as we go to your word, as we look to you? And God, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged. So God, I pray that you would use this room, even to the end of what I just shared. I pray that this room would be future deacons, future elders, future leaders of the North Church. That there continue to be a group of young people that stick around, um, continue this exciting young culture that are in this next phase of life. So God, continue to be with this group, continue to bless them, and be with us tonight, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I've been tasked, I don't even know if you guys know this kind of where we're going, but tonight's topic is selflessness versus selfishness. Selflessness versus selfishness. Tough thing to say back to back. I'm going to do it a lot tonight. Uh, so I just want you guys to think before we kind of get into this topic, just in your own head, what do you think about, like what comes to mind when you think about the word selflessness, selflessness, like what words or ideas come into your mind? And then what comes into your mind when you think about selfishness? What pictures, what ideas, what words come to mind? Just think about that for a minute, and then we'll kind of jump in. So think for a second. Be quiet. All right. Would anyone be willing to share? What did you think about? Like, what idea or picture came to mind when you think about selflessness? Giving. Giving, yeah. What else? Uh, selflessness is you give the group something. Selfishness is you take away from the group. Okay. Give versus take, that idea. Okay. Yeah. What else? Or, yeah, what about even selfish? What came to mind when you think of selfish? Any ideas or thoughts? Childish. Childish? Okay. What else? I thought of a little kid in the nursery going, Oh, that's my toy. Yeah. <laughs> Kids and toys, yeah. Definitely have experienced that lately. So, yes. Yeah, so the interesting thing is, so the Bible clearly has a lot to say about both topics. Um, I was actually surprised just to do like a word search, though. The Bible only directly speaks to the idea of selfishness like four separate times. Now, clearly, there's a lot of other ideas in the Bible that relate to selfishness. So it's not like the Bible only talks about it four different times. But I was a little surprised to just see those four specific things. So I thought we'd start just by going to those four passages, and then we're going to camp out on one of them for a long period of time. And some of these will probably be familiar passages, but can someone go to Psalm 119, verse 36? And does someone just want to read it out loud? Just one verse. I can read that. Okay. Verse 36. Yep. Incline your heart to incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Okay, so here we just basically get like a pretty simple one verse idea, but incline my heart to your testimonies, not to selfish gain. So almost this idea that inclining our heart towards God versus selfishness. So they're kind of pit against each other. God or selfishness. It's kind of where this passage leads us. All right, can someone read James 3? 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? 
Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But under the wisdom that comes from heaven is the first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Okay, good. So, again, this is a longer passage, and there it says selfish ambition two different times. And there's a lot more that could be said about this pa passage, but if you just look real quick at verses 16 and 17... Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So again, we get this idea that with selfish ambition comes bad things, right? And then, but wisdom is from above. So we get this contrasting idea, wisdom from above versus this idea of selfish ambition. So selfish ambition comes evil things, and then there's wisdom from above. So this passage just goes back and forth, contrasting these ideas. Does someone want to read Philippians 1.17? We only have two more passages, and we're going to spend the most time in Philippians 2. But Philippians 1.17. Okay. I can do that. The false proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not merely, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. All right, so this passage, again, one verse. Um, so we don't have a lot to go off of here. But this is the one passage that actually, like, maybe is, like, the easiest on selfish ambition. If our other two passages were, like, selfish ambition is counter to God. This idea here with selfish ambition is they're proclaiming Christ out of selfish desires. Which I do just think, like, as we think about the idea of selfishness, this is where it actually gets even more confusing. Because we can actually do good things from a selfish heart or selfish motives, right? And we all know this as Christians that like our hearts are deceitful and wicked but we could even do a good and right thing but have selfish desires in it which is like shoot now it's just not about doing like good things or bad things or being selfless versus selfish you could actually be selfless in your actions but your heart could be selfish which is like crazy right and we've all experienced this right like someone maybe your parents or someone's told you to do something and you actually do it. You do what you're told to do. Be nice to your sibling, whatever. But actually your motive in it was not that way. It was like in that motive you wanted nothing to do with that, right? Um, so we've all kind of experienced that. We're going to spend most of our time in Philippians 2. So I think this is where it walks out the idea of selfish ambition. Contrasts us to the example we have in Christ. Does someone want to read um, Philippians 2, 1 through 11? Great. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same <coughs> love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself, taking the form of servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Good. So we're going to like dive into this passage a little bit deeper than the other passages. But I wanted you guys just to see in general, like, how does the Bible talk about selfishness? And it usually, like I said, it contrasts this idea of God and selfishness. Like, they don't go together. It's like the idea of oil and water. They don't mix. Now, if I were, like, to pull you guys from the beginning, like, you guys all could have come up with that. Like, this isn't hopefully a new idea that, like, selfishness is opposite of selflessness. Like, hopefully you guys get this idea But the reason why I think this is a really big deal is that culture screams at you to live a selfish life, right? The mantra right now in our culture and in our world is do what makes you happy. Like go live your life and do what brings you the most joy. And behind that is like, again, it's this idea of do what you want to do, right? Be like, go fulfill your desires, what you feel, what you want. And behind that, it's, it's be selfish. Like, if you actually, like, kick that down another couple levels, the idea there is be selfish. And the problem with that as it relates to Christianity is everything, right? Because the Bible says that selfishness doesn't mix with selflessness. They're two polar opposite ideas. And I think this is why it matters, because I think even in Christian circles, we could tell you, every one of you could have said, like, yeah, Reed, we know selflessness and selfishness are opposite ideas but i think sometimes practically how we live our lives we still live our lives with this balancing scale of like if i go through my day i've kind of like you know what i've kind of like had a rough day at work i've earned like to binge this netflix series and i've like done enough to really like scroll on my phone like the way we actually live our life is actually still like we we borrow this cultural idea that we can do what we think is going to bring us happiness and joy, satisfaction and pleasure. Almost like this scale. And if like we've done enough in our day, we can just pursue what we want. Or we can turn to these other things in our life. And I think that's kind of like the more cleaned up Christian version of what culture would say. Culture would say do whatever you want at all extent. Like if it makes you happy, go after it. Like be as selfish as you want. Like go chase it. But I think in Christian circles, we like clean it up a little bit and we say like well it's okay to be selfish sometimes but only when you've been like selfless enough right and that's kind of like the again none of us would like just blatantly talk about it this way but I even find myself like after a long day and like the kids are finally down I'm like now it's my time like this is my time like I earned this like Monday night football is coming and I earned (laughs) watching this or whatever and also as I say that Just to be clear, that doesn't mean, like, you can't watch Netflix. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy sports or scroll on your phone as if those are always bad things. But I do think there's a a danger. Like, just as a starting point, like, these two ideas don't mix. So, like, it does matter how we pursue those things, which we're going to get to in a little bit. So, let's dive into Philippians 2, and then I want to get a little bit more practical at the end. So, I'm going to start at verse 3 and just reread Philippians 2. 3 through 11, going to try to make some observations of the text and then try to get to some application. So Paul is saying here, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Okay, a lot in this passage. We're not going to have time to like go through every single word, but I do want us to see some really big things. Like the way Paul starts verse 3, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing. He doesn't say, like, hey, do, like, some things from selfish ambition, or, like, it's okay, like, every once in a while to be selfish. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Again, this idea that this doesn't mix, right? This idea of, like, and then he contrasts it with humility. He says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. So, even here, Paul brings up this new idea that he actually contrasts selfishness, selfish ambition, with this idea of humility. Typically, when we think about humility, what do we contrast it with? Pride, right? And now here, Paul contrasts uh, selfish ambition with humility. I think that's intentional because I think behind our selfishness or selfish ambition is pride. I think it's Tim Keller who, uh, his definition of pride, don't quote me quoting him, but I think it's Tim Keller. <laughs> he says, pride is contending for supremacy with God. So if, if we just think about pride being tied to selfish ambition, if selfish ambition is looking at ourselves, we're making more of ourselves than God. Like at the core, if we just had to think about selfishness at its worst light, we're making more of ourself than we are God. So selfish ambition is this focus on self, this negative self-worship, or uh, I I heard one pastor talk about like this idea of navel-gazing, so like staring at yourself, right? Um, And this is one of those things that like, I don't again have to convince you guys that it's hard to be selfish. Like that's actually a pretty easy idea and concept. Like you don't have to even tell a kid in the nursery, like to not be selfish, it's ingrained in them. Like they, that's my toy. It's like, dude, you just walked in here. Like (laughs) you didn't even know that toy existed five minutes ago and now it's yours. But that's the thing, like even kids see that. Um, And I experience this every single day. I wake up and my kids don't wanna share their toys with each other. That's like a lot of what I'm doing right now, refereeing toys right now. (laughs) That's what it means to be dad. Um, But the reality is we all wake up wanting to do the very same thing. We wake up selfish we wake up wanting to worship ourselves like that's kind of like our default response and this passage calls us to look to christ's example right so it says do nothing from selfish ambition but in humility look to this example we have in christ which it goes on to say have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped okay i just want to pause for a second I know, like, for a lot of you, you grew up in the church, or even this church, so you guys know these ideas, but this is mind-boggling to think about. Like, Jesus was in the form of God. So, maybe just for one second, Daniel can answer this, although I'm fairly confident someone in this room is going to get this, but uh, there's this theological word or term called hypostatic union. Does anyone know what that means? Yes. 
Yes. Okay, <laughs> um, It refers to Jesus being both fully God and fully human. Yep. Fully God and fully man. So this is one of those words that don't ever use it. It's like, unless you just want to sound really smart, but no one else will know what you're talking about. But it's the idea that all of us know. Like, again, Jesus was fully God and fully man. Okay? So both those things were true when he came in. But when you just think about this for a second, Jesus was reigning with God, on the throne with God, and he emptied himself. He became human. Like, this is just a wild idea. Like, why in the world would anyone do that? Like, if you were on your kingdom reigning in your throne, why would you enter in? Why would you become human? Like, this passage is wild when we see the example we have in Christ, that he would actually do this. Sometimes, um, sometimes Nikki and I, when, uh, when the Olympics are on, usually, we, like, joke with each other, like, what Olympic sport could we, like, get away with, like, competing in? the longest before we get found out that we were like total frauds right <laughs> so it's like you know you can just picture it like you played out in your head like the high dive and you like do a pencil dive you know <laughs> never like okay what was that guy doing um or even like uh one time i went to india <clears throat> actually with camp sarich in india they loved like american culture they were fascinated with it so one of the things they really liked was american basketball now, I'm like an average basketball player at best. I got cut from high school. Like, I'm not like anything awesome. But they thought I was like Michael Jordan. Like, and I felt like that over there. It's like, they had, it felt like they never picked up a basketball. And here I am, like, I played two years in high school. Like, check this out. Like, and I'm not even that good at basketball. But again, just think about the idea that Jesus had everything. And he was with God. And he entered in with us. So, like, Another just like silly example, but like, I don't think we can actually comprehend this idea, but it would be like us going to live among ants. Like if you have an ant farm or ants at your house, like us going to live among ants. Like they're tiny, feel insignificant. Jesus is on his throne with God, created everything. And then he came to live and become one of them. Now, granted, ants are not created in the image of God, right? Stephen would be mad if I didn't say that. We, we are created in the image of God, so it's different between us and ants, but just the gap is what I want you to think about. Like, there is a large gap between God of the universe and humans, right? And Jesus entered in. Like, this passage is mind-boggling when we think about the start of the example we truly have in Christ, of the form of God becoming human. But not only that, it goes on to say that he emptied himself by becoming or taking on the form of a servant. So now we actually get, like, the manner in which Jesus lived his life. Now, again, this is nothing new for you guys probably in this room, but this is still wild to think about. Like, Jesus could have came down to earth and had an earthly reign as a king, right? He could have. Like, he could have came in and taken over Caesar, like, and just become, like, the next big political reigning whatever. He could have. That's not actually what Jesus did. In fact... Jesus, oddly enough, goes to, like, the most desolate places ever and starts living out who God is. Like, again, doesn't make sense. Like, he starts doing things no one's ever seen or heard. He starts doing these miracles. He teaches like no one else has ever heard. He heals people. He's doing all these amazing things displaying who God is. This is just how he lived his life. And then, ultimately, it says, this passage goes on to say, the ultimate way Jesus lived was he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
So not only did Jesus come down in human form, live a perfect life, show God in the most amazing way possible, but then he sacrificed for us. And again, <clears throat> I know we like know this idea, but I really want you guys to think about this. This is an amazing passage. The thought that not only would he enter in, and if there was one person actually deserving of worship, it was Jesus, and he went to die for us, to win us back, like to ransom us back from God. Like, it's this most amazing switch. Like, everyone should have been bowing down to worship Jesus, and then they put him on the cross. Like, the craziest story ever written, and it's true. Like, this is the gospel story, but <clears throat> the example of Christ's humility is crazy. Like, just no one else here can just say the idea like, yeah, Jesus was pretty sweet, but I'm better, right? There's just no way. Like, he was fully God, fully man, entered in, lived a perfect life as a servant, and ultimately came and died for us. Like, it's an amazing example of humility. So, I don't think it's a small thing that Paul's grounding this idea of humility in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because there is no one who does it better. There's no one who did it like Jesus and it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Like, as believers in Christ, we share this mindset. We get to share in this idea of humility, um, and that helps us. Okay, a lot more that could be said about this passage. I want to just leave this passage for a couple minutes, because there are a couple other places in the Bible where I think it gets at this idea, but doesn't use these words. So, again, these are going to be familiar passages to you. <clears throat> in Acts twenty thirty five, Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than receive. Again, familiar passage, I know we've heard it before. But as that relates to the idea of selflessness, I think all of us have experienced this idea that Jesus himself says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I'm sure every one of you in this room have been experienced something where you've given something and you've actually been able to receive joy from that. So not just monetarily giving, but I'm talking like giving your time, giving your energy to helping somebody and on the back end you actually experience the benefit of that, right? And that's what Jesus says here. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Basically, if I were to insert selfless, selfish language in here, it is more blessed to be selfless, to give your life up for other people, than to be selfish. Which again, this is again, where you just have to think, this is mind-boggling, because what the world would say is, it's better to live your life selfish, to take whatever you want, to go get what you want, if it makes you happy. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says something far different. Like, it's way better to live a life that's all about other people than yourself. Now, I actually didn't say this, and I should have back in Philippians, but uh, it says, uh, let each you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. So it's not like we neglect our own interests and just care about other people. I think what it's actually saying is, we care about other people as much or more than we care about ourselves. Like, you don't have to tell yourself, like, hey, I, might, I think I need to eat dinner tonight. Like, no, I'm just going to go feed that person. Like, we all just instinctually do things that take care of ourselves. So what Paul is saying is we want to care as much about other people like we do ourselves, which is, again, a radical idea. So not only does Jesus say it's more blessed to give than to receive, uh, in John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy but I have come that, we may have, that you may have life and have it abundantly. So this idea of Jesus, even in the Gospel of John, he's saying that actually true life is found in him. So, <clears throat> so when we think about, this is where like, the shift needs to happen. 
when we think about pursuing our own joy and satisfaction, it's not like these ideas are separate. Does that make sense? Like, because uh, again, this is very important because the world would say, just go pursue what makes you happy. But the reality is the Bible would say, you want to know what ultimately makes you happy? Jesus. Like, you actually pursue Jesus and that's what gives you the most joy. So this again, growing up in this church or around this church, hopefully you've heard this idea. This is the idea of Christian hedonism, right? God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. This idea that <clears throat> if you actually want to experience true happiness, true joy, you put your hope and trust in Jesus. <clears throat> and it's this reciprocal thing that happens. So again, here's just a couple other passages that have other things to say about this. <clears throat> the final one says this. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. <clears throat> so here's where we get this category that anything we do in the Christian life should be for the glory of God. So that's just a thing that we should think about <clears throat> as you think about watching a movie, listening to music. As you think about everything you do in your life, you should have a category, does this bring glory to God? And the reason that matters is because as we think about the topic of selfishness or selflessness, and as we think about the idea of selfishness not mixing with godliness, that this matters. Does what you're doing bring glory to God? That's just like a good question to ask. Um, let's see. Find out where I'm. Okay, so what does this mean practically for us? That's great. I just shared a bunch of things you guys probably already knew. But what does this mean practically? Or another way to say it is, <clears throat> how do I know if I'm actually being selfless or selfish? Like, what are like some questions? What are some diagnoses? What are some helpful things that can help me as I think about this? The first thing I would say is, what are God-given roles in your life? What are God-given roles in your life? So, <clears throat> for some of you, you're a husband or a wife. Most of you, I'm assuming, have a job or you're a coworker somewhere. I bet all of you, because you're here, are a friend. You have someone in your life that you're a friend. Some of you might be a mom or a dad. And the question would be, what do other people in your life around these roles, what would they say about you? So if they were to work with Sterling and they said, how does Sterling work as a coworker? What would their answer be? Now, <clears throat> chances are if you have a coworker, especially one that isn't a Christian, probably not gonna ask him this question. <laughs> but hopefully with even like a friend or even like with a spouse, this is a good question to ask. Like, uh, how are you actually doing in this role that God's given you? Because some of these people have the best window into your life and I think they could speak really frankly and be like, you know what, honestly, Daniel, like, there are some ways you're selfish, like, and here they are, you know what I mean, like, and to be honest, like, we need that, like, all of us have blind spots, and even as a friend, like, this could be a good place just to ask people closest to you in your life, in the God-given roles that God's given me, do you see areas of selfishness, because I don't want those things to be a part of my life, and if a good friend can help you, or if a coworker, or if a spouse, again, ask the question, like, are you being faithful to what God has for you in your current state, in your current goals that you have? Uh, the next thing I would say, practically, don't think about your lives in terms of a I deserve mentality. Remember, this is like this dumb thing we do to like Christianize the culture's view of selfishness and selflessness. But think about it rather like, how can I pursue Christ? So rather than thinking like, Gosh, have I, like, done enough to merit, you know, 
a gallon of ice cream and Netflix. Keep coming back to that idea. As if that's the only way to be selfish. Um, but um, how can I be more in the image of God? Remember, like, and I'm not to say that ice cream or a Netflix show is bad, but, but even just ask the questions, like, how can I pursue more of Christ in my life? How can I become more like Christ? Like, if Philippians is calling us to look to the example we have in Christ, how can we become more like Him? How can we find our happiness and contentment in God? Like, if we believe the Bible to be true, and Jesus is the pinnacle of that, how can we pursue Him to that end? One of the things I try to do with my kids, but it's like a good exercise for me regularly, is I just try to think like, hey, what are we thankful for? What are we thankful for? And that sounds, again, kind of silly and trivial, but I think when we have to stop, slow down, and think what we're thankful for, what that actually does is it's an exercise acknowledging that God is the giver of all these good gifts, right? These things are not ours. They come from God as a good giver. So even this idea of practicing, like, you know, Asher, what are you thankful for? And he says, fire trucks. Like, yeah, buddy, like, those are a good gift. Like, those are good things to think about. But even asking the question, what are you thankful for, helps me to think about, oh, yeah, like, I'm not the center of my own universe. Like, it gets me out of my own thought of navel-gazing at myself. Um, the third thing I would just say is, like, I think we just need a regular diet of, you know this, but repentance and prayer. Like, there are areas of our life where we are selfish. All of us have areas of our life where we're selfish. Like, and I'm, this isn't going to be like a time where like, hey, let's put on the line. Tell me you're selfish in your life. But there, that's there. Like, all of us have it in our heart that we want to be selfish. And we need to repent of areas of our life where we have idols or selfish things. Um, <clears throat> and just even saying, like, God, I can make more of myself than you. Or I can want to pursue those things more than I want to pursue you. Or even in this moment, I did the thing I was supposed to do, but I didn't want to do it. I was selfish. Like, will you forgive me? I'm, I'm constantly brought back to John 15, 5. This is like the abide passage in the Bible. So, But in John 15, 5, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, do you truly believe that in your life? That apart from God, you can do nothing. And the reason this is a helpful verse for me is because it's an acknowledgement for me daily that I am completely powerless in my life unless God moves and God works. Like, again, it's just a reorienting that God is God. I am not God. I need God to work. I can't work apart from Him. And it's that rightful reorienting that I am small and I need God, right? It's small, but it helps me. Um... The next thing getting even more practical, but even just asking the question, where can I serve? If the example we have in Christ is his life, and his life was one of serving, what does that look like for you guys? Like, maybe a good question for you even right now is like, where can you serve here at the North Church? Like, where can you use your gifts? I can almost guarantee Aaron Rothenbaum would be like, hey, do you guys want to come hang out with kids? Because we have a ton of kids here. And you, we need you guys. So if he was here, he'd say, come out with kids. But I'm sure every one of you have gifts that can be used in the North Church. And this is where, again, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And for this demographic, you guys have more time in your hands than you probably think. Like, you have more to offer this church probably than you think. And your gifts can be used to serve the church. So what would that look like for you? 
What are gifts you have that could be on display for the church? Like, this church needs you guys. You might just think, no, I'm just like a 20-something. Like, I can just kind of blend in the background. The church needs you guys. Like, this is the body of Christ coming together. And all the pieces are here. You might be a big toe or whatever. But the church needs you. Like, every single piece is indispensable to the body. Like, we need all of you. And you guys can serve in different ways. Oh, and then the last thing I would just say is where has God put you in your life stage or in your career where you can impact others for Christ? I find like one of the easiest things for me as I think about being more selfless in my life is how am I thinking intentionally to impact other people for Christ? Or what would it look like for me to influence in this sphere for Christ? What would this interaction look like with my neighbor to show them Christ? And you can't help in that moment, but again, to think to live selflessly. Like, one of the most best ways we can gain access to share the gospel is living a selfless life. Like, you live a selfless life around your coworkers and how you treat them, how you care for them, how you ask them questions. At some point, they're going to be like, you're weird. Like, you're not living in line with what anyone else is doing. And that's just going to be apparent. Like, just how you love and care for people is going to be like, what in the world's going on? Like, it's going to give you an opportunity to share the gospel. So I just think, like, if you just already think the places God has you, at your work, in your normal rhythms of life, who are people you can influence for the gospel? Because when you're thinking that way, I just think you naturally move towards other people. You're naturally elevating their needs above yourself. You're naturally thinking, how can I love these people? How can I actually share Christ with them? And again, that just really helps me, like, when I think about my life, when I think about a walk with my kids, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to run into our neighbor, like, I've been praying to talk to my neighbor, like, those are just good things that keep you thinking on this topic that can help you. And I would just say, there's still going to be times in our life when we fail, like, remember, we wake up not believing the gospel every single day. We wake up, and our natural default is to be selfish. So this is like a daily battle, a daily fight. Like, this isn't something which is like, now we heard the talk on it, we're going to be perfect. Like, far from that. Like, the reality is we're going to fall forward. We're going to, every single day, probably like find areas of our life where we're selfish. And we need to run to Jesus. I think, if I were to say it like very simply, like, I think what the Philippian passages does is it causes us to look up, to move out. So when we look up, we're looking away from ourselves. And as we look up, it moves us out to loving people. And I think that's like the recipe for success in the Christian life as you think about selflessness. We first start by gazing at Christ, and that moves us to loving other people. And that's the pattern we see all throughout the gospel. So let me pray, and then we can be done. God, I'm thankful that this is true, that... We get the most incredible example in the whole world, in Jesus. That though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That Jesus was reigning and ruling on the throne, and he entered in. He became human. And not only did he become human, he didn't become human to demand our allegiance. He became human to sacrifice his life. What a powerful example of humility and love. And God, I pray that this room could reflect that reality, the gospel love that we've been giving, could we bend it out towards other people? And God, I I know that 
all of us every single day won't do this perfectly. But God, I pray that this room could be more selfless because we look to Christ. And as we look to Christ, it'll move us to meet the needs of a world that doesn't know you. So God, I pray that you would do that in our hearts and in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Young Adult Ministry at the North Church. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but do not charge for the copies or alter the content in any way without express written permission from the North Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at thenorthchurch.com slash young-adults.